Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. Glad you made a decision to join us. Today's going to be a great day. Amen. Listen, we've had a, a busy last several weeks as a, a church family. A lot of things going on. It's all been good, but it's, it's been a little busier than normal. And so I want to take a minute and just say a very sincere thank you to everyone who has been serving overtime to help facilitate the extra ministry that's been taking place over the last few weeks. Last Sunday was Easter Sunday. We had an amazing Easter Sunday. And when you have something like that, extra work goes into it. We added a service. Our kids' ministry went above and beyond. People running shuttles, production team, worship team, uh, greeters, ushers, just a lot of work goes into it. And so an enormous, sincere thank you. The service is, yeah, praise the Lord. Give yourself a round of applause. Leading up to Easter, we had those revival services, which were wonderful, but it's out of, out of the ordinary. And so having services every night, a lot of people serving it, uh, uh, just above and beyond our dream team, staff members, and you did an absolutely outstanding job. So I just want to say thank you very, very much for allowing God to use you and facilitating. I mean, people's lives have been changed over these last several weeks. And if you were serving, uh, you played a, a part in that. So thank you very much. You know, while I mentioned the revival services that happened a couple of weeks ago, if you were one of the people that were really plugged in and a part of what God was doing, I want to encourage you to not allow that to be just a neat experience that we had with you know, just some special services and then life goes back to, to normal. What makes moments like that matter isn't just those moments by themselves, but the moments that come after those moments, how we steward those, how we, how we build on those. And so I know there's a number of people that God was doing something special in your heart, in your life, just stirring your heart up, setting your heart on, on fire for the things of God. But just like in the natural, when you have a fire, a fire needs to be fed to keep going. A fire left on its own will go out. It'll just diminish. It'll get colder and colder till you can get to a point. If you neglect it long, long enough, you, really no sign that there ever even was a fire in that place where once a fire w was burning strong. You've got to feed a fire just to keep it at the same level. But we don't want to stay at the same level, amen? You've got to continue to feed it just to, to, to maintain, and you can feed it to maintain it, or you can feed and nourish that fire so it grows stronger and brighter and hotter and grows larger, and that's what we want to do. Unfortunately, what happens with most people, what's usual is they'll have an intense encounter with the Lord, uh, a moment at the altar, God will do something in their lives, and then after that, they'll just go back to what life looked like before, or they'll just plateau and stay at that level, but we don't want to do what's usual. We want to do what's unusual. We want to have unusual spiritual progress. Amen. So I want to encourage you just to continue to lean into the things of God, spending time in God's word, keeping yourself engaged in God's house, extra time in prayer on your own. And as a church family, we're, we're doing this for a reason. We want unusual spiritual progress and that's what we're going to see, but you don't want to be on the outside looking in admiring our unusual spiritual progress in the days ahead. You want to be a part of it. We want you to be a part of it, all of us together as a church family. Amen? Yes. Well, I'm excited because today we're starting a, a brand new series. You just saw the bumper a moment ago 
uh, almost heaven, which obviously is like the, the unofficial nickname of the state that we live in. West Virginia is such a great place to live, such a beautiful state. I'm not, I'm not a native, I'm a transfer in, but I, I love the state of West Virginia. I wasn't born here, wasn't raised here, uh, but my children have all been born and raised. I've been here 20, 20 years now. And I love, I love West Virginia. I love the people of West Virginia. And honestly, I feel called to the state of West Virginia. I'm not someone who, who talks to themselves out loud. I don't know if you like talk to yourself or if you know people that, that have no inner monologue. Everything they think apparently just comes out of their, their mouth. My wife is sort of like this. I'll hear her talking in the other room and go in and ask her, what, I didn't hear you. What did you say? Oh, I'm just talking, I'm just talking to myself. I've, I've been around other people that just... They just talk to themselves. I don't know if you do that or not. I feel like you can kind of, one way you can break people down are the people that talk out loud to themselves in one category and then sane people in the other category, right? <laughs> well, why do you need to say it out loud? When I hear my wife talking to herself in the other room, I feel like saying, you realize you can do that in your head. You don't, you know, you can just think that you don't have to say them. You don't have to say them out loud. Like I just lost a significant portion of the, the room. But having said that, there, there have been three times in my life where I can remember saying something to myself. It, it may be more than that, but I can remember distinctly three times where, where that happened, where something, something I felt so strong on the inside, that just almost without thinking, it was just coming out just coming out of my mouth. I wasn't speaking to anyone else. I wasn't praying. I just sang it to my, myself. And in all three of those occasions, I feel like God was doing something in me uh, when I had those moments of talking to myself. One time was when I was in college and I went to a, a Christian college, but my, part of my testimony is that when I was making a decision to really serve the Lord with all of my heart, there was a little back and forth that, that occurred before I really kind of settled on the, the straight and narrow. And so I can remember in college, there'd be mornings where I would wake up and I would try to think back of what the day before was like, what kinds of things was I doing last night? And, and mornings where I wake up and remember, I didn't do anything I would regret the night before. I, I'm, I'm on good terms with the Lord. I can talk to him and not feel shame and condemnation. And just, just how wonderful those moments would be. I'm I'm still walking with the Lord. It would be, I'm not, I almost cry thinking about it. Just so, so wonderful to have those mornings. But there was also mornings where I, would, where I would wake up and I'd have regret for the things that I did the night before. I, I, I would hate it. And it was during one of those seasons where I was having a, a few days in a row of just making poor decisions and doing stuff that I regret. And I woke up in the morning. I went to a Christian school. I had to go to chapel. And I remember sitting up in my dorm room. There, there was nobody else in the room. I sat up in my bed, just full of regret. I mean, I hated the decisions I was making. I wanted to be close to the Lord, but I was just making foolish choices. And I, I felt it so strong that I, I said it out of my, out of my mouth. I just said, what, what a mess. What a mess. I'm making, I'm making such a mess out of my life. So it just came, it just came. I felt it so strong. What a mess. And then I got up and I went to chapel. And as I was in the chapel, the speaker that day, as he was preaching, he said, maybe you're here this morning and you woke up this morning and you said to yourself, what a mess. 
Well, in, in his mind, he was probably just using some generic example of you might sort of feel like that. But it wasn't just some generic example. I believe the Holy Spirit inspired him to say that because that, that was exactly what happened to me. I didn't just kind of get up and feel that. I woke up that morning and I literally said to myself out loud, evaluating my situation, what a mess. And God used that in my life to minister to me. So that's one of the three times. The other two times that I've had something just kind of, I feel so strong, it comes out of my mouth. Well, once when I was in college and once early on in my marriage, I, I'd, I'd never lived in West Virginia. I didn't know anybody that lived in West Virginia, but on two different occasions, I can remember just feeling it so strong. So I, I want to live in West Virginia. And I believe God was doing something in, in, my, in my heart that I feel called. I love West Virginia. I love the people. I'm excited about what I believe is going to take place, what God is going to do in this state, in our lives, that we get, we get to be a part of it. But if we're being honest, as wonderful as the state is, as beautiful as the state is, there's a lot of ground for us to make up to really earn the description, almost heaven. It's a nice little slogan and a pleasant thing to say, and we can show you beautiful scenery, and West Virginia has, has plenty of it. But we've got some growing, some improving to do for people to be able to really describe their existence, their life living in this state, as something that qualifies as almost, almost like heaven. You can look at different categories that as a state, we lead the nation, unfortunately, in things like drug addiction, drug overdoses, divorce rate, children being raised by by, by people in foster care, being raised by people that aren't, aren't their family, lead the nation in things like people being unhealthy in their bodies, lead the nation in areas of, of poverty, people living in impoverished situations. So if you were to ask a lot of people that live in this, in this wonderful state to describe their life, when they began to talk to you about the conditions of their marriage, the condition of their childhood, the condition of their body, their financial state, they probably wouldn't say, honestly, it's almost what I'm experiencing, what life is like, what my marriage is like, what growing up in that foster home was like, they wouldn't describe it as almost heaven. Honestly, it'd be more accurate to say it, meant it was almost like hell, what I was experiencing. And it would be an accurate description because there's a lot of people that their experience is more what the devil has planned for their life than what Jesus has planned for their life. But that's where we come in. That's why God has us here. That almost, almost heaven is not just a, a nice little state slogan. It's more than that. Or should be more than that for us, the body of Christ. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, for those of us that are following him, that our prayer should be, Father, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Later in that same chapter, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he said that our primary concern, our number one pursuit to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. For those of us that take what Jesus has to say seriously, for us to live that out, almost heaven isn't just something about state pride. It's more than a song. It's an assignment on our lives. Almost heaven is a mandate to the church that we're supposed to get the area that God has us planted, where he has us as a church family, as men and women, to get where we live as close to heaven as possible, that we would carry the power of God. We would carry the presence of God. We would produce an atmosphere. We would create an environment as men and women of God. 
God, where people would have an opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good, to get a little taste of what heaven is like and make an honest evaluation. That's what I want. That's what I've been looking for. That's where I want to spend eternity forever and ever. I want to be in the presence of this Jesus, but it takes people like us making a decision to genuinely put the kingdom of God first, to seek his first. Father, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth in Harrison County, in West Virginia, just like it is in heaven. You'd be exalted. You'd be adored. Your will would be done where we live, just like it is in heaven. So it would be more accurate to describe the place that God has planted us. Almost, almost heaven. Almost heaven. It's almost hard. To, where are we again? Is it heaven? West Virginia? They're so similar. So similar. Amen. When you, read through, when you read through the Gospels, the kingdom was something that was a major, a primary emphasis of Jesus. It's something he talked about an enormous amount. I just went through the Gospel of Matthew. I was just curious. How many times is the kingdom, the kingdom mentioned? Just in the Gospel of Matthew alone, 57 times I counted. I, I even counted it twice just to make sure. 57 times. You know, the Gospel of Matthew is only 28 chapters. So that means on average, two and a half times every single chapter, the kingdom of God is being talked about, referred to, preached about. After Jesus' uh, baptism, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, went into the wilderness, and when he launched his public ministry, listen, listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. After Jesus comes out of the wilderness, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's describing the beginning of his, of his ministry. From that point forward, moving forward, here's what Jesus did. He went around telling people, you got to repent. Why? The kingdom of heaven, this kingdom, it's, it's at hand. It's near. It's available. Later on after that, it says this in the, the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He went about preaching and teaching what? The good news, the gospel about this kingdom that has been opened up through his, his death and resurrection that you and I can live in, that we can be a part of it. Later on after that, it talked about Galilee. Then it says Jesus went about to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Over and over again, from that point forward, Jesus went to tell people about the kingdom, went all over Galilee, preaching and teaching good news about the kingdom, went all over Israel and all villages and cities telling people about the kingdom. It was a major emphasis talking about the reality of this kingdom that you and I have the opportunity to be a part of and serve to see it, to see it advance. So when we talk about the kingdom, what exactly are we talking about? Some people will differentiate with different terms that are used. When you hear the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, they'll, they'll say it, it kind of has a little different meaning. At some point, that's valid. But in general, it, it essentially, whatever reference is used, it's talking about the rule and the reign of God, where God's desire is carried out, where he's acknowledged, his, his will is being done. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of heaven. So when we talk about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, whatever reference you want to make, it's not supposed to be just something when this life is over and we go to heaven, we get to experience. For, for believers that are carrying out God's desires and his instruction, it's not just when I leave earth and go to heaven, but I spend my time on this earth having heaven come and be established here. So we talk about seeking his 
kingdom first. It's not just a different way of saying, hey, we're waiting until we get to go and be a part of his kingdom. That we're spending our time, we will go to heaven. For those of us that know Jesus, we will, when this life is over, we'll get to go to heaven. It's going to be wonderful. But in the meantime, we work to establish his kingdom now. If that doesn't describe you, if you've never accepted Jesus, we'll give you an opportunity here in just a few moments to make sure before you leave here, you are a part of this kingdom. You've accepted Jesus. But for those of us who have, he's our savior. He's the Lord of our life. We're serving him. We'll go to heaven at some point. But until then, we want to get this as close to heaven as possible. And that's what we've, we've been assigned to do. When you read through the gospels and see the kind of life that Jesus lived, Jesus was living the life that you and I are supposed to live. He was a revelation of what the Father had intended your life to look like. The kinds of things that he did. Jesus was an example. Not just an example to be admired. An example for you and I to follow, to emulate. That our life would look similar to the life of Jesus. You understand that? Not just something to say, oh, what, what, what a guy. He was, he was so, so much better than we are. That's not why he came. He came to make it so that you and I could live the same life that he lived. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Obviously, we honor Jesus and understand he's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. But he also opened the door for you and I to be sons and daughters of God. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 6, for those who say they live in God should live their lives, how? As Jesus did. That's what it means to be an example. When your math teacher put an example on the board, when you're learning how to do equations, that wasn't just so you could admire the example. It's so that you could follow the example. It was so that you could get the same results that are being demonstrated. That was the point of the example, not just to sit back and say, wow, he sure does know algebra. What, what, what a guy. What, look at that equation. He solved for N or whatever letter that they're solving for. It's so that you could follow the example and do the exact same thing yourself. Jesus was an example for us, for us to follow. Amen. People are, people are seeking purpose. People desire meaning. They, they want fulfillment. People in this room, that's what you desire, to have purpose, meaning, fulfillment. Those things are only found in the kingdom of God. Those things are only found when you take your place in the kingdom of God. When you take your place as a man or a woman to serve advancing the kingdom of God. There is so much more to life than just acquiring things. And there's more to being a Christian than spotty church attendance and periphery involvement in the, in the local church that you, you belong to. That we're supposed to be people that advance his kingdom, that we can learn how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, to see him working in us and through us to carry out the desire of the king. That there's gifts on the inside of each person. That's what the Bible says, that the Holy Spirit has put gifts for the, for the benefit of the church to see God's kingdom expand. That we would learn how to use those gifts and see them operating in, in our lives. What, what would it look like in your life for you to make a decision? I want my life to be used for the kingdom of God. In these last moments of time, in these final hours of history, for you to say, I want my life to matter. I want to be used at advancing the kingdom of God. What would it look like for us as a church family, genuinely, to have a group of people that say, Lord, in these, in these final moments, I want to be a part of what you're doing in your kingdom. Use me, Lord. I want to seek your kingdom with all of, with all of my heart. Our vision right now as a church is to get to a thousand strong, and it's going to happen. 
happen. It's happening. We had more than 1,000 people last week for Easter. But more than that just being a regular attendance thing, and we'll grow beyond that. After we hit 1,000, we'll continue to grow. It's going to happen quickly. But it's not just about having people in the room. It's not just about uh, having attendance. What would it look like to have 1,000 people have 1,000 hearts beating as one? A thousand hearts all in unison for the kingdom. A thousand hearts beating in unison with Jesus' heart. Beating like the king, the kingdom for the king. All of our hearts the same way. The kingdom first. For the kingdom. For the king. What kind of impact could we have? People need to know about Jesus. We need to advance the kingdom. People need to be saved. People need to be set free. People need to experience the power of God. To have God's power touch their marriage. Touch their, their household. People need to hear the good news of the kingdom. Wickedness shouldn't be free to advance however it wants. Wickedness shouldn't be advancing the way that it is in communities, the way that it's advancing in the school system. Wickedness shouldn't be allowed just to run rampant and advance however it wants and make it seem like wickedness is the dominant force on the earth today because wickedness isn't the dominant force on the earth today. There's another kingdom, and the king of that kingdom has already defeated the enemy. The kingdom of darkness has already been defeated. There's a spirit that resides on the inside of me and on the inside of you that the Bible says the greater one. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in this world. The greater one has already been released and has been filled, filling people who have a desire to be filled with the presence of God. But for the impact to be felt, it takes people that say God's kingdom doesn't come third or fourth or fifth. I'm seeking his kingdom first. We need to see God's kingdom advance, but it needs to start in us. It needs to start in us as the people of God. For God's kingdom to come, number one, we want to see the lost become found, and we will. But before the kingdom takes the community, before the kingdom takes the state, the kingdom needs to take our heart. It needs to come first in my heart, and you're genuinely, genuinely, his kingdom first. Jesus above anything else. What good does it do to go out and see people get saved and bring them into a church where people are, are lukewarm about the things of God. Because you know what will probably happen. You'll tell them the good news about Jesus. They accept Jesus. They come, and they'll probably become like the people they surround themselves with. So you almost do a disservice. You're, you're, you're hurting more than you're helping by bringing people in and then teaching them how to be cold towards the things of God. And I'm not saying that describes our church because I don't believe that it does. But it's a warning we need to be aware of. We're, we're going to see people get saved like never before. I'm telling you. We're going to start reaching out. We're going to see a greater harvest than we ever have before. It's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. But in the meantime, we've got to make sure that what these people are stepping into isn't a lukewarm environment. That it's a blessing to be a part of this church and not a challenge to overcome because you're a bunch of, around a bunch of people that are indifferent towards the things of God that our hearts would be on fire for Jesus, that we would love him more than we love anything else. Amen? And that's what revival is. Before a revival affects the lost becoming found, eventually it does, but initially it's about what's going on in the hearts of God's people. That, that's where it starts, a revival. It, it suggests that there has, been, there has been life there, and it's a fresh stirring. The people of God that have allowed themselves to become cold, indifferent, hard-hearted, not really 
passionate about the things of God, for there to be a fresh stirring in their hearts and lives where they fall in love with Jesus all over again, a a stirring, an, an arousal. And out of that, out of, man, I love Jesus like I've never loved him before. His love has become so real to me. A restoration of the first love, like Jesus told the Ephesian church, that that restoration that comes out of that, the spirit of evangelism can then begin to use people and flow. I love the king so much. I love the kingdom so much that we start to go and tell people, and that's where the fire begins to spread. But it's got to start in us in our lives, a genuine yieldedness. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, everywhere I go, more than anything else in the world. I want your kingdom to be a reality in my life and in the people, the people around me. The people that made a decision to follow Jesus. When you and I make a decision to follow Jesus, to really live my life like Jesus lived, those are the people They get to see the kingdom of God unfold in their lives, in the lives of people around them. But it takes loving him more than we love anything else. And nobody wants to be shallow, right? Nobody wants to be lukewarm, which by the way, I hate that term. I hate the term lukewarm. I always have. I always cringe a little bit when people say it. Really, man, I just, why lukewarm? I don't like my name being associated with people that are indifferent towards the things of God. I really don't. It bothers me. I don't like my name being linked up with the kind of people that God said, I'm going to vomit them out of my mouth. Why not Chad Warren? Christina Warren? I mean, really, why, why? it doesn't even make sense. Luke Warren, what's that even mean? Luke Warren. Put your name in there. See how you like it. Steve Warren. But nobody wants to be lukewarm. Nobody wants to be known as a shallow person, right? In in any area of life, you don't want people as they describe you. He was was just really, really shallow. Nobody likes that description. Certainly people that that call themselves people of God, Christians, that we don't want to be shallow in our walk with God. If, If at the end of this sermon today, I gave an altar call and I said, I know some of you have begun to go deep into the things of God. If you'd like to repent and use the Lord, bring me back up to the surface. That wouldn't be a good altar call. No one would respond to that. No one wants to be known in their pursuit of God as shallow, surface level. We love the idea of going deep, right? You want to be known as someone that's on fire for God, someone who's the real deal. You're genuine. Your love, your love is pure. People love the idea when you say, hey, we're going deep. They, they like the thought. They like the idea. But few are willing to actually pay the price for that to be a reality, to go deep and to be on fire. Because when it comes to spiritual things, everyone becomes like, like a dedicated bargain shopper, that they want a deep level walk with God, but only pay, pay a shallow level price. I want an intimate relationship with God, but I want the cost to be, I barely got time for you. They're looking for bargains. I want the benefits of being someone who's planted in the house of God, but I want to do it with only when it's convenient level of commitment and sacrifice. I want the blessings that come from seeking his kingdom first so all these other things can be added to me, but I want to do it at the price of seeking his kingdom seventh. People are looking for bargains instead of saying, God, I I want to be on fire for you. And whatever it costs me, whatever the sacrifice involved, I love you more than anything else. So I'll gladly pay whatever price is associated. I'll sacrifice anything for you because it's your kingdom first. I love Jesus more than anything else. 
Because there's, there's things that you desire in life, but you don't actually desire them enough to do what's necessary to lay hold of them. For, for example, the, the vehicle I drive is a 2004. And it, uh, this isn't a complaint. I actually really like my vehicle, but I would, I would like to have something new. But I just don't want something new enough to pay the price to get something new. I want one. In fact, my, my wife makes fun of me. I, I watch car reviews all the time. I'm bored in the evenings. Sometimes I'll just like shop online for cars. I'll find one. Hey, this is a good deal. This is, this is what I would want. I'll show it to her. Look at it. I'll, I'll send her. T- Did you look at that car I sent you? She'll roll her eyes. Do you see the interior? That's the kind of interior. Would you just buy a car? Or, no. No, not yet. I've been saying this for years, but there will come a point in time where I will get a new car and it'll happen when my desire for that car grows greater than the cost of that car. It won't happen until then. You've got things like that in your own life, things that you desire, a pair of shoes, an experience, a vacation you want to take. Oh, I would love to take my family to Hawaii. You might really, really want it, but wanting it isn't enough. That desire has got to grow stronger to outweigh the cost of whatever it is that you desire. And as long as the cost is greater than the desire, you'll never have it. That same thing applies to us in our heart for the kingdom of God. That you, we can say we love the Lord. We can say, oh, I really, really want him. But there's a cost associated. And until that desire grows greater than any sacrifice that's associated, you'll never have that experience, that relationship, the blessings of seeking God's kingdom first until you actually take that step. Say, God, I desire you more, more than anything else. Because Jesus is coming back, not for a lukewarm church. He's coming back for a church that he says without spot or without wrinkle. A blameless bride. That's what Jesus is looking for. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. The, the appropriate level for desiring God is what level? To desire him first. To desire him with all of my heart. And if your desire for God and his kingdom is anything less than number one, what will is guaranteed to happen, something else will be number one and your heart will grow cold towards the things of God. Guaranteed. The only way to desire God is more than anything else. That's what the word of God says. You'll seek me and find me not when you really, 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 really want me. When you seek me with all, with all of your heart. If he's not number one, then you, your heart will grow cold towards the things of God. You'll drift off because there'll be something else that you love more. And as long as there's something else that you love more, that's where your effort will go. That's the direction that you'll move. Ephesians chapter five. Starting in verse 25, says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So he's drawing a parallel between husbands and lives, earthly marriages, and Jesus and the church. And he says, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might. Okay, it's telling us, why did Jesus give himself for the church? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Gave himself for her so he could cleanse her. Why did he cleanse her? Verse 27, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and without, without blemish. Jesus gave himself for the church. Why? So he could cleanse her. Why does he want her cleansed? So he could present her to himself as a church that is blameless, spotless, without blemish. And again, he's drawing a parallel between the body of Christ and, and earthly marriages. 
And he said that, that Jesus wants a church that is without blemish. Without blemish. From the Greek, it means this. It means to be blameless. That word means to be faultless. It means to be, to be perfect. There's no fault. Absolutely perfect. That's what he's looking for in his bride. And, and he's the one that said in this, in this passage that there's a parallel between earthly marriages and what Jesus is looking for in a bride. So men in the room, husbands, guys that want to be husbands someday. When you think about the perfect wife, the perfect bride, you're probably not imagining a wife that dates other men, right? She's, she's absolutely perfect. Some of the guys that she dates are so cool. I get along with that. Nobody wants that. Even if she just, she didn't date other men, but she flirted with them. She was always pursuing them, trying to get their attention, texting them, messaging them on, online. You, you wouldn't say, man, my wife is so perfect. She's so nice to other men. I just love the way she gives them attention, so kind. You wouldn't desire that. Well, Jesus is looking for a bride that's the same way, not having the, the, the heart of the church divided up, pursuing other things, that he would come first and foremost. If your wife didn't date other men, but she, she was just kind of indifferent towards them, but indifferent towards you too. You, you wouldn't describe that as perfect. There's without fault. My wife is without fault. She is so indifferent towards me. She could really take me or leave me. It doesn't, doesn't really matter to her. Right? Guys, am I right? That's not the kind of wife that you want. Not the kind of bride that you desire. If, if we're being honest, husbands, if you say the perfect wife, what you want, you want a wife that's crazy about you. Amen? Listen, we're using an illustration for the kingdom, but I can help you out here as well. If you show a little support, people know there's, there's strength in numbers, man. What you want is a wife that is crazy about you. Amen. That's what you desire as a man. That's what's in our heart. Kind of like my wife is about me, just absolutely, you know, crazy. Can't, can't get enough. Can't get enough. Hounds me all the time. Insatiable. She just, she's absolutely crazy. But he's, he's, using, he's using that parallel and saying Jesus is coming back. Starts talking about natural marriages and then talks about Jesus and the bride that he's looking for and says he's coming for one that is perfect, blameless, no problem, absolutely perfect. Jesus is looking for a bride. He desires a church. He, he wants a group of people that love him more than we love anything else on earth. Jesus, you have my heart so completely. Lord, my mind is on you. My heart is on you. My attention is on you. My efforts are towards you. Only one direction I want my life to move, and it's closer and closer towards you. What do you want most? What do you desire? desire most? Are you the kind of bride? Are we the kind of church that Jesus is waiting to come back for? People who, Jesus, you have our heart all the way. It's not divided up among 13 other things. It's not indifferent towards you. Jesus, my heart is all about you and your kingdom. It comes first. It comes second. All I want is you, Jesus. All I want is your kingdom more than anything else. And it's really simple, but I think we think we get it, but we don't really get it. When Jesus said, seek his kingdom first, you know what first means? First means first. First means above everything else. There's a story 
in the Bible about a, a man who's referred to as the rich young ruler. It's found in Matthew, it's found in Mark, it's found in Luke. So when you've got multiple options, you go with the book that has the most beautiful name. So I want to read it to you from Luke chapter 18. Got to make up for the, the lukewarm. There's got to be a counterbalance. If I'm going to be saddled with lukewarm, then we have to refer to the gospel of Luke as the most beautifully named book of the Bible. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18, we'll read this and then we'll pray. Luke chapter 18, verse 18, it says, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was, he was very rich. This is a story about a man. He's a rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus. Uh, the other version says that he falls down before Jesus. He says, Master, what do I need to do? You tell me, Jesus, good teacher, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus rattles off commands. He says, I've done those things. Okay, if, you, if you're serious, you need to go and sell everything that you have and then come and follow me. And we'll read the next few verses. This isn't a story about how earthly things, we shouldn't have anything or we should take vows of poverty. That, that's not what it's about. It's about the condition of our heart and what comes number one in our lives. That when he, his life came to a crossroad, up until that point, he could claim to love God. He's the one that came to Jesus, fell before him, said, good teacher, what do I need to do? He's the one that approached Jesus and Jesus gives him the response, you need to have the kingdom of God so high in your priorities that you're willing to give up everything else to lay hold of it. That when his life came to a crossroad, earthly wealth, things that I've accumulated, or Jesus, says this man became very sorrowful. Another version says that he walked sadly away. And when, when it came down to decision time, whatever claims he might have made up until that point, he chose stuff. He chose things. He chose what's temporary over the kingdom of God. What would happen if you or I were in that same situation? Is there anything you would choose over Jesus? Is there anything God could ask of you that you'd say, there, there, there's no way, I, I can't do that? Or do Jesus, whatever you want, you truly are master, not just when it's convenient, not just when it's in line with what I already desire on my own, but your kingdom first. Jesus, I want you. Is there something he could ask you to do? Do you say, no, I, I love that thing more than I love you? And I'm not looking to take an offering. I'm talking about the condition of our hearts. Is there anything you wouldn't give up? I try to think through stuff. Lord, if you told me to give my house away and go live in a small apartment for your kingdom, I want to be willing to do anything you ask me to do. Everything is fair. I want to want Jesus more, more than anything else life has to offer. To genuinely, not just in my claims, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That his kingdom would be my primary concern. Your primary concern. If you were here last week for Easter Sunday, we talked about the treasure of great value in Matthew chapter 13. How a man found the treasure. Talking about the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom located the kingdom. It says he gave joyfully, joyfully. He gave up everything else 
so that he could have that kingdom. You know, that's not just about salvation. That's about life in the kingdom. That's about the heart condition of being a part of the kingdom. I joyfully lay down everything. Lord, I want the kingdom. I want Jesus. I want his spirit. I want to be used. I want to honor the king more than anything else. Nothing can touch my desire for the kingdom. That's a mindset. That's the way that we live. Everything else, everything else for the kingdom. What do you want most? What, What do you desire more than anything else? If God could ask you this morning, you had to answer him honestly. Do you want me? Do you want my kingdom more than anything else? Could you say yes? Lord, I want, I want your hand on my life. I want to be used by you. Take my life. Use it however you want. You can have everything that I am. Would we be able to honestly answer that? In just a moment, I'm going to call people forward. If that's you, you say, I want to give myself as a living sacrifice. Lord, you can have my all. I want Jesus more than anything else. I want the Spirit of God on my life in my, more than anything else. I want his kingdom first. God, you can have me. I want you. I want to be used more than anything. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.